Welcome to the Leadership Network Podcast. Leadership Network is a community of multipliers who gather to collaborate, innovate, and pursue what God has next for His church. Our mission is to champion healthy growth that is capable of reproducing. Thank you for joining this conversation, and here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Leadership Network podcast. My name is John West, and I serve as the director of Innovation Next and Next Ventures. And Next Ventures identifies innovative projects and ministries across North America and then encourages them with financial grants from a growing list of our venture partners. And our desire is to accelerate each of these initiatives that are helping to shape the future of the church in the West. Well, today we want to join a previously recorded episode of a future church podcast with Hugh Halter and Hal Mayer as they talk about an innovative way to not only plant churches, but to impact an entire community. And also, just as a reminder, you can find all of our future church podcasts on our website at leadnet.org under resources. Let's dive in. Well, welcome to the Future Church Initiative Leadership Network podcast. I'm Hal Mayer, and I'm going to be talking with Hugh Halter today about his Brave Cities Initiative. So how's your morning going, Hugh? It's doing well, Hal. Thanks for having me on. So you got up early, right? About 4 a.m.? That's, that's how it rolls now that I'm 55. It just sort of happens. So there's no strategy to it. Well, let's start with this. Uh, tell us a little bit about what led you uh, in this movement. What started it? Yeah, well, we've been, uh, we've been planting churches our whole life. We started uh, out of Portland, Oregon. We were, we were from kind of inner city church plant, multi-ethnic, and then moved to Denver, and most people know our story from a book called The Tangible Kingdom. That was sort of a network of missionary communities in and around the Denver Metroplex, um, pretty much a volunteer movement. You know, we were doing a lot of writing on bivocational early on, and, um, and so that story was kind of, I guess, the center of how our family had lived or whatever. But uh, even behind that, my son Ryan has had really severe epilepsy his whole life. And, uh, you know, that's honestly what caused us to do networks of house churches is because we couldn't even leave our house. Uh, Ryan would have 20 grand mall seizures every day. So we had to just learn how to be missionaries in our neighborhood. You know, there wasn't really an option to like try to set up lots of programs or attractional ways of doing church. So that, that story of my son's disability kind of led us all away from Portland to Denver and then we found an assisted living center for him in a little town called Alton, Illinois, just north of St. Louis area, about 20 minutes. And so we put him out here about, uh, well, it's probably been seven, eight years now. Um, and, you know, we, we thought at some point he would not make it. Uh, he was not supposed to live past five or six. And, you know, by this point, he's in his early 20s, uh, mid-20s. So, uh, but he wanted to live with other people that had the same struggle. So we put him out here while we were living in Denver and, uh, we would come out and visit him. And, uh, you know, every time we would come to this little town called Alton, it, you know, it was pretty busted up town. It used to have 90,000 people. It's down to 30,000 had lost most of its industry. It's right on the Mississippi river. So it's a little river town that just used to be one of the richest cities in America. And, wow. uh, so we would look around and, you know, you try to get a cup of coffee. There was not even one coffee shop. There was no place where people hung out. There's a lot of biker bars and stuff like that at night, but nobody moving. Lots of boarded up commercial spaces, boarded up houses. And then we started doing, you know, sort of sniffing around and 
you know, average income in Alton is 22,000. So it's one of the, one of the poorer communities that I think in the country, you know, and finally, you know, probably on our 10th visit, my wife and I are having a little uh, dinner down at an Italian bar and we're asking the waitress what young people do in this town. And she said, you know, most of her friends just do drugs. And so we had a little time with her and, and out of that conversation, we're walking out of the bar and Cheryl is just standing there on the sidewalk. She's not, she's all of a sudden, she's not with me. <laughs> I turn around and she's like, Hey, why don't we just sell the, the, uh, the ranch in Colorado and just move here and see if we can do something to help the town. And I remember, you know, she wasn't saying let's plant a church. She was saying, let's do something to help the town. And, um, you know, personally, I'll be honest with you. We got in a little bit of a skirmish on the sidewalk. I was like, Hey, we, <laughs> we, we live in Denver. You know, let's uh, let's stay in Denver. If anybody's ever been to Denver, you know, it's kind of a nice place. So uh, for about three weeks, we have kind of a a dialogue conversation slash fight in our in our family about whether or not we're going to move to to Alton from Denver. Ends up my both my adult children, my two daughters um, and their brand new husbands. They all wanted to come with us. They were like, let's do it. Let's do another mission. That was the, the idea. Let's do a family mission. And uh, I was the only one that didn't want to go. So I ultimately lost and we packed up. We literally just moved out here without any sense of knowing what to do. We just knew that God had called us to do something to help the town out. And uh, in very short order, a gentleman, I, I barely even knew I'd had one, uh, one conversation with him. He, uh, he just got me in his car one day and started showing me buildings around town <clears throat> And uh, pulled up in, in front of an old federal post office that was right in the middle of downtown Alton, uh, right next to City Hall. And he just, he essentially gave me the building and just said, wow. I think, I think you'll know what to do to help our town. And that, that became kind of the, the third generation of, of what we call uh, creating a brave city, a different type of a church plant where you combine essentially three parts uh, one would be a benevolent business, you know, business design that actually helps the town or creates jobs or gets some sort of atmosphere changing in the city. Um, the second would be in, incarnational neighborhood homes. So literally homes or people that live in certain parts of the neighborhoods that go, we're going to try to actually change the neighborhood. And the third would be just justice works, things that, um, that other people are not doing in the town that need to get done to help. Uh, specifically people that are on the margins or don't have access. And so we, we started a thing called Post Commons. Everybody knew the place is the post. It had been boarded up for 60 years. Um, and we just turned it into what we call the living room for Alton. And so we put in a pretty high-end coffee and all-day brunch cafe. We, we did uh, daytime stuff because in cities – what happens during the daytime changes the city strategically. That's when meetings happen. That's when people connect. Yeah. Um, and so we said, let's just create the daytime spot. And in pretty short order, we became the premier event space in town. Um, and then we just said, well, why don't we start incubating as many businesses as we can? And, you know, our purpose statement, we, we set up a nonprofit as like a, a holding company for a bunch of LLCs. And we just right. said the pur purpose statement of, uh, Lantern Network, which is our nonprofit name, is to incubate good works. So, you know, whereas most people just think we're a coffee shop, 
now most people know what we do here and they'll, they'll send people to say, hey, if you have an idea, you're not sure how to get started, go talk to the people down at the post. And so now we have a full co-working space. We have about 12 uh, businesses uh, that have been incubated that are part of what we call a kingdom ecosystem. And essentially that's how we are planting church um, and doing good works in our city. And, you know, we don't claim it, but a lot of people have literally come up to me and just said, Hey, you've changed our town or they'll thank us. So, you know, our metrics may not be how many people are in pews on a Sunday morning, but you know, when you think about uh, like Proverbs eleven ten is sort of our, our key verse where the righteous prosper, the city will rejoice and, so we, you know, those are our metrics. Is, is the city glad that we're here? Are we, uh, are we making Jesus a little bit more palatable or uh, interesting to people? And, and how I've got to share the full gospel with literally hundreds of people just sitting in the coffee shop. And every one of them has come to us or come to me and said, hey, tell me what you're really doing here. And I go, well, are you okay if I talk about God? And every time they're like, yeah, love to hear so I don't know. It's uh, it's been uh, we're on year number six, so we're just kind of getting started. But you know, we have a goal of you know, or a dream of many, many more businesses and justice works and a network of incarnational homes throughout the Alton area. And Brave Cities is essentially a network that we're setting up nationally to support apostolic leaders that are building out kingdom ecosystems in more struggling or marginalized cities around the country. So that's sort of, I guess, an overlay of what we're doing. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. So you talked a little bit about uh, what's happened so far. Give me some uh, sense of what you guys are dreaming about. Uh, what's the future looking like? What, what, what are you hoping for? Well, there's a local dream. Uh, you know, I'm 55. I got uh, five grandkids now. So, you know, um, I used to spend every week on the road training church leaders. Um, I kind of want to stay home now. And, and honestly, you know, I, um, everything kind of runs itself in this network. I don't really have to be around, uh, but I'm kind of the big dad around the community. And I, I like to show up here a couple times a day and just encourage what people are doing. But I, for me, I just I want to be local. I don't want to be sort of on the road. Uh, I, f I feel like the stories that we live, how are the best way to influence other people, you know? And I'm thankful that at 55, I get another story that I get to do with my children. Yeah. And But the, the national dream, even international dream, I mean, right now, Hal, we're probably getting, we're probably getting 20 uh, email requests a day for people wow. that are going, okay. like, I heard about your story. In fact, I got one this morning from Rockford, Illinois. A guy just said, hey, we heard about your story. We're a, we're a church plant, but we've got no traction doing the attractional thing. We really would love to change our town. And, you know, so that a lot of times it's just inquires about that. They just go, we just don't know where to start. Sometimes people fly us in to look at buildings that they've gotten. And they go, hey, help us exegete what would be the best good works to do in our city here. Um, other times you find people that have been doing this for 15 years. They just didn't know that there were other people that were crazy enough to view the church like this. And so I, I feel like the brave city dream, we'd, we'd like to have a hundred cities that are actually building out kingdom ecosystems in the next 10 years. Uh, right now we have 12 that we're coaching. 
and being inspired by ourselves. And uh, so I feel like um, we're going to probably launch a framing book uh, this summer or fall called Brave Cities. And that will lay out kind of the theology and the philosophy of building out kingdom ecosystems. And then probably just slowly start uh, bringing people into the network. Um, There's really nothing more than just, you know, we're going to set up a network of stories so people can find not only the Alton story, but the Birmingham story to the Louisville story to, and just, we're finding that generally apostolic leaders, they don't need like their handheld. They already are sniffing the flower. They just need a little bit of a story to go out. Ah, that would make sense here. Or we can morph off of that. And, you know, so um, yeah, we're just looking forward to basically living the story mostly, and then just trying to provide a network for folks. Okay. So, uh, uh, Gosh, so your book, your book, Brave Cities, comes out in this summer. Is that what you're saying, right? We're hoping, Hal. We're hoping. Oh, I understand. <laughs> I understand. Um, who else is doing this type of thing in our in the nation? Do you know of any other guys? I'm sure there's some. Yeah, you know, early uh, generation of this. Um, well, we actually like to bring up a guy that uh, we, we start the book out with. Um, a guy named Josiah Henson. Well, even before him, we this would uh, this would be what we call an early Trappist work. Sometimes people come in here, they go, "Well, what are you guys really doing?" We'll go, oh, "We're just a neo Trappist order." I, I'll say that just to freak him out. But the the history of this is deep in the Christian movement. You know, I mean, even when we think about funding ministry, which I know everybody's freaking out about right now. Funding in our, you know, in our last 60 years has been based on people in church tithing. Right. I know that that is a business model is not working right now right. Um, and will probably continue to decline. So when we talk about forms of funding, uh, I go all the way back to St. Benedict of the sixth century. Um, you know, out of all the cloistered orders, the Benedictines were the only order that never begged for money. They were the enterprisal order. And their motto was Ora et Labora which meant the prayer is the work and the work is the prayer. And so these, uh, these cats, instead of being cloistered and rolling out of town, they would go to the main streets of uh, the cities and they would find out what people need and then they would make it. So if you go to a highfalutin you know, city today and you're looking for a Trappist beer joint, those were all started because water was not safe to drink. So they would brew the beer and then they, they would take the spent grain, make all the bread for the city, they're distilling the first whiskey from medicine. And a lot of, in fact, a lot of the main streets in cities today that have like a, a market area, many of those, especially in Europe, they say were started by the Benedictines because they would bring all of their enterprise into the city center and then other people would bring their stuff. So eventually they became the evangelistic centers because that's where everybody showed up for help. So, um, you know, Deep back, that, that's the history. Sure. It's been going on forever. Uh, Josiah Henson was a, a black ex-slave that gets up into Canada. It's, it's the original Uncle Tom story where Josiah Henson created a, essentially a working shop and it's, uh, got to about 500 slaves that got up through Alton, through the Underground Railroad on the East Coast. And they found essentially a family, a church, and a place that would train them for a job. And you know, so these are holistic, what we call holistic kingdom ecosystems. You know, in America in the last 10 years, um, I would point people to the early uh, underground network out of Tampa. Um, when you look at um, 
you know, sort of the heyday of what they were doing. It was micro churches, right? But many of the micro churches had specific business justice work orientations. So they were starting to help change our mind about what, how we view the church, not as a place where people come to worship, but as an actual empowerment community that sends right. people out as missionaries. So, but uh, very, uh, you know, typical to what we're doing, Alton, uh, there's a group out of Louisville called Love City uh, that's doing amazing work. Um, you know, Birmingham, uh, Common Thread is a story many people know out of Birmingham. In fact, uh, one of the leaders that helped lead that is now with us now. It's Taylor McCall. Yeah. And T- Taylor tells a story that I love to tell because he, when he, he's moved up here to help us now do the Brave City Network. And he said when he, when he moved up here, he saw the mayor of Birmingham. Now, this is, you know, 300,000 people meets the mayor at a car wash. And he says, you know, hey, mayor, just so you know, I'm going to roll out of town for a year or two. And the mayor said, well, your whole network's not leaving, are they? And at this point, you know, Taylor said they had about 100 people that were living intentional mission into the poorest neighborhoods of Birmingham. And he said, no, it's just my family, the whole network staying. And he said, well, good, because if your network were to have left altogether, we'd have to actually raise taxes to handle all that you guys are doing for our city. And that's to me, that, that's, that's, that's 100 people. So I always go, you can do way more with 100 people that are entrepreneuring beautiful works into cities and businesses than you can do with 10,000 church attenders. And so a lot of the ecosystems that we look at, uh, one's called Blue House out of Portland, Oregon, church planter that started a CrossFit gym. And, uh, and probably half of his gym now is from the, the gay community. And, you know, where he gets judged and maligned by religious leaders, you know, I just go, hey, any missionary that has the respect of that community in Portland, Oregon, because of what they done, have done in business is way ahead of the curve. So a lot of times, you know, the ecosystems we find are within the first five years of development. And most of them are getting the type of um, respect and, and uh, I guess, uh, civic acclaim that we are. So their reputation is very good in the city. Um, the church part is just beginning to build out because essentially, you know, your, your church, your spiritual community is built out through smaller disciple-making communities, you know, oftentimes there's not like a weekend worship service. Um, so the Jesus part is a subversive discipleship movement. It's not a public uh, invite type of thing. Um, but yeah, so, you know, it's kind of fun to discover lots of these little ones just uh, getting going. Um, but we believe that it has been going on for 2000 years. We think yeah. it's had its heyday in other times. And I think, um, based on what, you know, the church is pretty poor street cred right now in America. I think we're going to have to go subversive and, and bless our cities before we're going to get a hearing again. It's also fun though, how, I mean, it's not just like a work that we do or a strategy and I just love living this way. Like I just, every day is something different and people walk through the door with new visions and all of a sudden that becomes and we had, we had one pastor that heard us on a podcast. He'd been pastoring his whole life. He just quit. And he said, I've always had a passion with fine woodworking, and I'd love to help young men uh, get, a, get a trade. So he moved. He and his wife moved right into downtown Ferguson, which is about nine miles from us. And most people know Ferguson. You know, he, just, he got a retail space, set up a beautiful woodworking shop, 
and boys come in literally off the streets and he goes, I'll teach you how to build something that you can keep for yourself, something that you can sell and make money, something that you can give away. You know, he just has this beautiful little four part deal where he teaches these boys four critical parts of how to live a successful life. And to me, those are the best stories when actual Christians go, you know, even pastors, I got to get on mission <laughs> and they take their skill and they, they join the ecosystem. So he comes over every Tuesday morning and joins our staff team. And we just pray. All we do is we just pray and talk about what God's doing. And then he drives back across the, uh, the Mississippi river and uh, does what he does. So, you know, I guess we have some dream of influence and in people that are not just in Alton, but uh, sure. I love that. It's just fun. You know? So let me, let me ask you a question. Um, you've got your 501c3. That's the holding company. And how many businesses are in yours in Alton right now? Right now we have 12. 12. Now, yep. who owns those businesses? Well, each of those businesses, LLCs are essentially owned by the people that start the businesses. Right. So we would just provide a, a central administrative covering for them and obviously a legal covering. Uh, if they're in our building, they're obviously under our insurance and that type of thing. So that helps them. Uh, we have uh, a gal that basically runs that entire financial structure for us. So oftentimes she's even doing the taxes for the LLCs, but the individual people, it's their idea. It's their business. They have is their checking account. They give, they give to your uh, LLC or is I mean, um, it, not that we mandate, but okay. most, but most as they get started, you know, they'll say, Hey, can I give back? So we yeah, sure give back. I mean, it's just like a generosity value that we, we put in to help other people. So, um, but it's not required. That's why we exist. I, honestly, when we sell a cup of coffee or we do a wedding event on the weekend and make $10,000, that helps underwrite our ability okay. to in incubate other that. people. Yeah. And honestly, how we don't make a lot. I mean, we're probably a million dollar a year deal overall. But we barely make payroll every every two weeks. You know, I mean, it's not like we have we're a cash cow, but we right. focus on generosity, and it has been a supernatural kind of spiritual. We're gonna, you know, we had a gal that, uh, that you know. By the way, how good works don't have to be Christians with an idea. Good work could be a non Christian that has something that they want to start. Sure. We had a gal, gal that came in named Sarah that uh, we met at a local. Uh, kind of market downtown. She was doing pastries and our pastries sucked at the time. So we started talking and, and I said, Hey, I heard you're trying to actually start a real bakery. She's like, yeah. I was like, can we help you at all? And I said, we need good pastries, but she's like, yeah, I just need a commercial kitchen uh, to bake out of. And then I'm legal. So we set up a deal. Her and her husband were very, uh, they were very defensive at first. They, uh, when we met, they just actually couldn't believe we would just try to help them. Right. And I said, well, you seem, you seem like you're already on your heels. Like, are you feeling confident? And the husband said, well, I Googled you. And I said, well, what'd you find? He said, well, you're a Christian. And I said, is that going to be a problem? And he's like, it, it always has been a problem. And I said, well, try to look past what's happening. I'm sorry for however you've been treated, but we just really would love to help you guys. And he said, well, what, what percentage are you going to take from our pastries? I said, how about we just take 20%? And he was, he was shocked by that. And then, you know, a few weeks later, we're praying over them in our staff meeting. Not They weren't there, obviously. Um, they had claimed that they were atheists. And 
But during the prayer time, my coffee guy stops. He's like, I don't feel like we're helping them or loving them like we should. And so we talked about it as a team and we said, let's charge 10%. Let's just barely cover our sales tax. And so we called them back in. We said, hey, we want to change the arrangement. They got really upset right at first. I said, hey, don't freak out. And I just told him, I said, hey, I know you guys don't believe in this, but we were praying and, and you came up in our prayer. And I said, we just all felt like we could love you a little bit better. Maybe we can help you more with marketing, but we'd like to only take 10% instead of 20%, if that's okay. And you can imagine where that conversation went. She was like, why, why the F would you help us like that? And I said, well, because, you know, and I joked with her. I said, remember that little Jesus thing that was bugging? I said, I know that's caused some people to be uh, pretty hard on folks outside. But I said, we think he just loves you, wants to see you succeed. She had, she had been six years uh, clean out of a meth addiction. Oh, wow. And my guess is some of the negative Christian stuff probably happened during that yeah. stuff. But so I just said, we just want to love you better. And, you know, she now calls us family. She had me, um, you know, she now has her own brick and mortar, her own bakery in town. She's very well respected. And I mean, I'm listening to a radio cast. She doesn't know, you know, I was listening, obviously, but it was over our whole city. And she was just gushing on us, our team. She named me. She said, these people believed in us. They did everything they could to help us. And so again, those are just stories. They're, they're good works because we have this ecosystem. We can provide help that other people that are starting businesses generally can't get the help from. And then we also provide really the relational support. And uh, as she said, in a Christmas party, we did, she said, you guys are our family and uh, you know, you've believed in us in ways that other people haven't. And so, you know, if we can cause the, the unchurched world to call us family. It's a little, oh, yeah. bit, it's a little bit like the New Testament, I think. <laughs> you think? Absolutely. So what are some of the major, I don't know, innovations or changes you've made in the last six years? I don't, you know, I know everything iterates, so. Yeah, totally. Yeah, well, I mean, COVID was right in the middle. So we had two and a half year run before COVID hit. And we had the two year COVID struggle, um, you know, and, and we struggled like everybody else because now we're a business and we're a hospitality business. So, you know, where we were booked every weekend for weddings, uh, we had to pay back $60,000 in deposits, you know, and all of a sudden it was, oh, wow. yeah, so we, we lost, you know, several hundred thousand dollars during that and went from 14 staff down to four. So we had to do what everybody else did. And, uh, but we made it through um, a lot of the time in the ecosystem, ideology, if one part of the, the company's doing well, they might help out and share with the other parts that aren't doing well. And so we did some of that. Um, but, you know, the, the changes have been more just the addition of new things. Um, you know, the co-working space has ended up being something that we put another $40,000, $50,000 of investment into so that we could bring more people into the building, you know? And so a lot of, a lot of our thinking was let's take whatever we can and keep growing the ecosystem sort of infrastructure. Um, and probably, the, you know, the most important thing are the people that we add to the team, the, sort of the missionary leaders. Um, so we're, you know, in some ways we're starting to fill out the team, almost like you would fill out a church staff, the people that you need to really run everything, both pastorally, you know, we work off the APES typology. So, 
you know, I tend to be, uh, and, and there's probably three or four of us that are more the apostolic, the entrepreneurial vision in, you know, in the movement, or we go out and we find new vision. Uh, we have more shepherding people, uh, more prophetic people. And so we work off of, you know, some of that, uh, leadership typology, but, um, you know, in, in some ways how we don't have to try to be super creative or strategic. We just kind of wait for new vision to come in. Um, so I, you know, I thought of, I think one other thing, that's it. Um, but everybody else has said, Hey, Hugh, I got an idea. And I go, Oh, great. Let's talk about it. And, uh, we have some people on our team that are fantastic about taking an initial vision and actually causing it to happen. So nice. we'll actually say, spend some time with Taylor and Lindsay and they'll work you over and we'll get somewhere, you know? Oh, that's, that's, that's really, really cool. I, I love the story of this. Uh, when you're at Shark Tank, you know, we heard a little bit of it. For those of you who don't know what Shark Tank is, it's Future Church Initiatives uh, Plan. We bring in 12 different, 15 different initiatives, and they pitch before our uh, uh, crowd, and then we're doing grants from that. And what we've changed, like you were in Austin, am I correct? Yes, sir. Were you in Nashville? Yeah, nope. Austin. Yep. What we changed to, Hugh, that's made it a little bit more Shark Tanky feel, is we give everybody a grant for coming. It's a very small grant. And then we have five top benefit, five top winners uh, who we give like, uh, you know, top numbers, usually 20 or 25,000 to just to Fantastic. make everybody get something when they get there. So we've, we've changed that, but your story is absolutely incredible. I'm really pumped. We're getting this uh, uh, podcast out to the exponential community and leadership network community uh, because so much is, 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 so cool. What, what are some of your current challenges? Oh, you know, challenges probably, um, it's been interesting. I've had people say, where are you, where are you getting spiritual warfare? Um, and, uh, we get none from the city. Uh, we've gotten some from the religious community in town. Uh -huh. We find, find that that's fairly normal in different ecosystems. Um, but, um, probably the greatest challenge is that that we are facing right now would just be the, the business kind of work ethic that's going on in our country right now. And when mm -hmm. we started this, uh, there was actually a need to create jobs. Um, and right now there are so many ways that people can make money. All of a sudden job creation isn't our, like top priority. Um, right. So probably top priority is, you know, just moving people into the spiritual community. Um, that becomes kind of like the, uh, you know, it's like a progression. They come into the business development and then they become friends and they become part of the family. And it's the discipling community stuff that I, I feel like every day I'm like trying to figure more about that out than the actual business side of what we do. Um, I'm finding, you know, most of our network are mid twenties kind of millennials and they don't like to lead anything. Um, and there's kind of a natural humility to that, that I like, but uh, back in our day, you know, us old folks, we just want to lead everything, you know, we'll, <laughs> we go charge. So I, I find that my greatest um, strategic place is to give young people a vision for leading their own friends okay. spiritually and uh, guiding them to call people into their homes and disciple their own friends. Um, that's for sure is an issue. So when people read the Brave Seas book, they're, they're going to see the philosophy and theology of this. And even the business development side, but the last half of the book is all about what we call churching it up, and not not just not just doing a coffee shop to do a coffee shop, but actually realizing we're here to to give witness to the Lord 
which includes proclamation and discipling our friends. So I feel like that's the part, especially when other ecosystem leaders call me, oftentimes they're doing incredible work in the justice area or in the community area, but they go, yeah, I'm just having a hard time getting adults to live incarnationally and to not keep expecting us to pull a Sunday church service for them or something like that. So, so you really two pronged. You've got the business starting, but you're also doing house churches. Is that right? Essentially, we probably wouldn't even call them house churches anymore. We okay. say, you know, they're just they're discipleship circles at some okay. level. But yeah, most would be in the house. But you know, I I run a thing called Journeyman here, so mostly at, at my farm or here at Post Commons, and that's just young guys around the city. Um, so sometimes they're using the space as uh, maybe like uh-huh. a discipleship spot. But yeah, in in our city, our neighborhoods are, uh, it's really unique. We're about half black, half white community. And there's there's not a black section, a white section. Everybody in Alton is kind of all uh, interlaced together. So when you find somebody that says, look, we're going to use our home as a frontline emission, it changes the little street at least. And uh, oh, man. so it's, it's still, to me, that's even more important than the business. The business sets up it's your financial sustainability, and it's also your credibility with the city. But the real ministry to people, I think, still has to be individual people that feel confident to guide spiritual conversation, open up the scriptures, um, and have talks about life, you know, meaningful things with people. That still, to me, is the great task of the church is to develop that part. So how many home or business groups like this would you have, think you have there in Alton? Uh, we like the the language we would use would be how many tables do we have? So okay. like okay. like I'll just give you an example. My daughter started uh, Commons Yoga, so that becomes a small little business, and it's a donation based yoga for people that struggle with severe trauma. Okay, wow. so you know, but it's a little tiny business. She'll make a few. She'll make fifty bucks a month doing this, but. Um, you know, but we will say, okay, let's not just stop at the business development. How can we turn that into a table? And it becomes a table when there now is a space where you can talk about God in life. And okay. so, and, and that's the way we kind of coach that's all cool. of our communities. Yeah. So sometimes a, you know, like for instance, our farm is already a table because we have people up pretty consistently. Uh, you know, we, we had a thing called the Abbey. It was every other week and it was about 20 people, none of them are, were believers, but they were all interested in God. So we just said, well, we'll just talk about the teachings of Jesus. How's that? Without any religious stuff. They were like, awesome. So, you know, you might have three or four homes that do that level of sort of teaching. We have other homes that are, you know, right in the middle of what you would call the hood. And it's mostly fatherless, you know, homes around there. So, uh, you go to their house for dinner, almost every meal, there's going to be a handful of kids from the neighborhood. And when COVID hits and nobody's in school, they become the school for the kids. And so, sure. you know, I feel like, you know, where we might have 12 businesses, we've got, I'd say, four intentional homes that are actually, you know, transformative in their part of the city. And uh, I'd say three, three of the businesses are at the level of table where they're now, you know, like even the woodworking story I, I share there right off the bat because of what that ministry is to young men around a woodworking shop. There are, that's a table, right? When this guy gets started, he's talking about life and the Lord right off the bat. Other times of business might take three years to develop some credibility to where that's going to go on. But 
Um, and we don't really care. We just say, but let's let's work towards causing every one of our businesses, our you know, a justice work might be a warming center that uh, one of the gals in our ecosystem leads. And that's just taking care of people that are freezing to death in the winter. You know, that pretty quickly turns into a table, right? Because they're up all night with folks that are, don't have a place to sleep. So, um, so you know, you look at, um, in fact, when we were talking with Taylor about the Birmingham story, you know, out of 100 missionaries, they figured at, at one point about 13,000 people were being touched in a, a relational spiritual way every week in those works that were going on. We really right now, Hal, after five years, we've only got, I'd say, 30 missionaries. So we're a small little band, right? But sure. I'd say, you know, probably in a given week, um, you know, we're probably into the couple hundred people that we are oh, somehow wow. t- touching spiritually yeah. um, or who are sort of leaning in spiritually to what we're doing. We don't have a public Sunday gathering. Uh, we do have a family gathering that we do probably at least once a month. We just come and meet and we have breakfast and we open scripture and we do a little worship. Um, we call it the side door. So um, it's not sort of open to the public. It's only for those who are leaning in to the spiritual side of what we're doing. Um, so, and that's kind of, you know, what we're doing. We're in a very Catholic town. I, I feel like if we were to do a public Sunday gathering, um, I don't think it would be perceived really well. So there's other cities where I think the Sunday gathering could be a part of what the ecosystem does, but we're finding that as the, most of these ecosystem leaders, they're reaching people that the church would never be able to reach. And based on that, they're having to intuit what would be the, the best way to guide these people in their discipleship of Jesus. And oftentimes the Sunday gathering um, is not a part of that. And it's not that it wouldn't be helpful, but it draws people from other churches that don't have the same um, desire or commitment to the work, so to speak, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you mentioned your farm and this, I, I don't know, it's a sad or not. is it a working farm or? Yeah. That, again, that's another weird story is, you know, um, our son, Ryan did eventually pass away last year. Uh, and he was 33. Oh, thank you, sir. And uh, a lot of people knew that story. So we got so many people that uh, sent some love, but out of that, you know, my wife went into, a, you know, she had never, I don't think I'd ever seen her depressed, but she really struggled obviously. And it was a struggle of her own calling. Why am I here now? She always felt like her job was to keep Ryan alive. And so one day she comes home and she just goes, I think I got it. And I'm like, what is it? She's like, I think we should do some equine therapy and, uh, and use the horses that we brought from Denver that she had, you know, uh, that was a part of Ryan's story as well. And uh, so we just started praying. It just became like another micro business idea. Like, okay, let's start a uh, equine therapy. And I said, what do we need? She's like, well, we're going to need some land. And, uh, you know, within a few weeks, I'm down golfing with some buddies in Phoenix. And I just remember an old buddy of mine that I hadn't seen for years. I said, hey, I want to go try to find Brad. And uh, He was 32nd, you know, drive away from where I was at. And we hooked up. I'm like, hey, how's your life going? And he's like, it's awesome. I just sold my company. And, uh, you know, during the talk, he's like, do you need any money? I'm like, well, no, I don't. I said, all of our businesses are pretty sustainable. And walking out to the car, he's like, are you sure there's nothing that you and Cheryl are working on? And I, at that point, I said, yeah, we are trying to get this equine therapy going. So 
Brad made a donation into our nonprofit. We were able to acquire an 80 acre deal just a few miles out of town here. And so uh, Cheryl and I sold our house, moved up, and we've built out the upper 40 acres. I've uh, got the horses out there. We're about to do a, a kind of a big GoFundMe to uh, fund an indoor riding arena so we can do the therapy year around and stuff like that. So, wow. but that, you know, when we tell people that story, you just have to remind them like the Lord is the creative one. God knows what he wants to do in our cities. And uh, oftentimes the, the really cool things we do come out of the struggles that we have. Right. right. And, right. and God takes how we're broken and he uses the brokenness to help other people. So I always go, don't try to think of how to build out a kingdom ecosystem, try to figure out where people are suffering, where you suffer and, and then ask God to do supernatural things. And he will, you know, right now our network has not only the farm, but it's got, you know, a home in a really bad part of town and the building. These were all gifts to us, probably $2 million in gifts that we had no idea we were even coming to the city to be a part of. And so that's, a, that's all happened in five to six years. So I always try to remind people when you care about your city, the Lord has all that you need to, to love on your city. You just have to maybe stop doing so much darn church stuff and look up a little bit and go, what, what would God's church do? What would he start in this town? Sometimes he won't start a church service. He'll start a coffee shop or he'll start an equine therapy farm or he'll start a yoga shop or because um, God loves all that stuff. And uh, the world tends to love that stuff as well. And I think that's going to be the, the kind of one, one thing I always say at Hal now is I think that space making may be the new evangelism for the church. You create space where people want to be and need to be. And I think that's the evangelistic funnel as opposed to an invite to a, a church gathering and God will church it up. He, you know, he promises I, I'll build my church. I know how to put this stuff together, but you guys do the work of the kingdom and uh, the rest will take care of itself. And I, I can really bear witness that's happened. Um, you know, every, every couple months, some new idea, and we go, okay, I'm not sure how, how we can afford that. Or, but it's like if, if it's God's desire, it's going to happen. And uh, so, yeah, I think, you know, I feel like, you know, we always joke about global domination. We just want to take over. Um, and, you know, the brave city ideology is not that we're trying to change Alton. Alton is, uh, as the scriptures teach, it's owned by the world. By you know, technically, it's owned by the Lord, but He gives Satan some length of leash. It's it's sure. Babylon, it's Rome. Alton can never fully do the kingdom, and so a brave city is is building a church or a city within a city, and it's a kingdom city. And as you build out your kingdom city in the middle of a struggling uh, other city you find that people want to come in. You're like a city on a hill and people look for the light and they begin to transfer their citizenship from being a citizen of Alton or St. Louis to a citizen of, they sometimes they say it, the family down at the post. We don't even have a name for a church. We just, uh, so I don't know. It's, it's a different way of thinking and living out the church, but I think there's some merit in people leaning into the story. We don't know if everything will work, and for sure it's not easy, but um, we sure are having a good time. And, uh, you know, I figure I'm 55. I got 
maybe another 25 years if I stay healthy to see what God's going to do in our, just in this one little town, 30,000 people. And uh, I think it'll be fun. Man, that's just such a good story. Thanks so much for taking some time out this morning and, and talking with us. Anything we, uh, I haven't asked you or you want to add to uh, before we head out today? No, I don't think so. But thanks for getting the story out there. Hopefully it will encourage some folks. And if they, you know, if they want to like make contact or get help, um, they can literally just find me at Hugh Halter at Gmail. Just email me directly. We love to help coach and encourage other ecosystem development. So you're not bugging me if, if people want to reach out and get some help. The Brave City Network will be a little bit easier to find probably after the book is out, but uh, we'll see yeah. how that goes. H-U-G-H-H-A-L-T-E-R at gmail.com. Yes, sir. You got in early because you get your whole name there, right? Yeah. That's <laughs> all I got. That's all I got. I couldn't, I couldn't get my name. Somebody else took it. Go big. Well, listen, you have a great day, man. Thanks again. You too. Thanks, Al. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Network podcast and joining the conversation for what is next for the church and its leaders. We look forward to connecting with you as we bring our questions, contribute our wisdom, and pursue what is next. Visit leadnet.org for more resources, information about leader cohorts, and more. That is leadnet.org.